This is a horror game podcast. It is meant for mature audiences. It may contain shocking revelations, violence, and sexual themes. Viewer discretion is advised. fellow investigators and welcome to our video podcast into the darkness where my friends and i will be playing world war cthulhu rpg i'm your host tom Rayleigh. tonight we are once again playing a world war cthulhu london uh it's a trilogy of scenarios and it was written by matthew sanderson and scott dorward uh this scenario is midnight sunrise our keeper of arcane lore is matthew sanderson and this is episode two our recap will be given by me as my character, Davidge Green. So without any further delay, let's continue our journey into the darkness. <clears throat> uh, sorry, darling, that I haven't written you sooner, but quite frankly, nothing much has been going on in either my personal life or in my research as of late. But just this morning, one of my dearest friends and neighbors, Teresa Hughes, phoned me to join her around 10 a.m. She seemed in a bit of a fluster, which wasn't too surprising since her husband had left during a spat about a week ago. I think he went to his sister's, though I can't be too sure of that. She told me she had invited a few more of her acquaintances to discuss something that was very much troubling her. Just as I arrived, I met that professor of obscure history. I've told you about him before. Uh, Gross is his name. There was also Mr. Leland, my neighbor once removed, who is also the local pharmacist. There was her lawyer, Mr. Spalfield Harris Esquire, and a somewhat out-of-place private investigator, Mr. Edgar Angrave, who, apparently, uh, is well-known to Teresa and has been for a long time. When she opened the door to us, she was quite out of sorts, looked like she hadn't slept in days. She called us because she had seen people around her property in the night. They had tried to break in, and the police would do absolutely nothing. We calmed her down, and we began our investigation. See what you make of this. Upon exploration, there were definite signs that some person or persons had scaled her back wall and tramped through her hydrangeas. There was evidence showing their attempt to enter the house uh, as the door locks were quite scratched. Most astonishing, they had, with hammer and nails, sealed her lower window shut, we assume, to prevent her egress. We noted that someone had entered her basement through a small window, and this is most peculiar, brought with them a large and heavy slab of marble carved in the shape of a triangle. Consulting with Gross led only to wild speculations of it being some sort of small portable altar stone. Mr. Leland was able to identify traces of blood. Shocking, darling. Positively shocking. 
Now, in the symbology of the ancients, the triangle can mean many things. But for some reason, fire came to mind. The house seemed like a trap. We were quite baffled. In any case, we thought it best that our dear Teresa spend some time away from her house. We took the stone back to my place for examination. We looked through the old newspapers, and we found an incident just last Monday wherein a plastic surgeon, Dr. Paul Chamberlain of Harley Street, had been trapped inside his house and that had been burned down by arsonists, a very deliberate murder as yet unsolved. So, while Mr. Spofield Harris Esquire keeps his eye on Teresa, the rest of us are currently watching the property for intrusion. George and I from the house, and John and Edgar from the garden shed. If the blighters show their faces tonight, we will have them red-handed, as they say. Quite the beginnings of an adventure. I will be sure and write you again if anything exciting happens. Until then, may God keep you safe. Your darling, Davidge. Right, thank you very much, Tom. So, where we left it, the sun had just gone down. It's now night time. Curtains have been pulled shut across the whole city. Um, there are ARP wardens wandering around the, uh, the streets, telling people in a very characteristic phrase to put that light out if they can see anything uh, shining through the gaps in the curtains. Because even though the massive bombing campaign hasn't manifested, there is still the fear that if someone does come over, obviously they're going to be able to see a light from the, from the sky in the pitch black. So there are no street lights on. Cars have got dimmed headlights if they are out and about, but you say seeing a vehicle out at night is usually a fairly rare thing anyway because of petrol rationing. And yeah, everything starts to go very quiet. So I'll go around and ascertain where people are. So Davidge, whereabouts are you when the sun goes down? Well, I've just made some tea and I and uh, George are sitting at a table. Um, we have a deck of cards which we can play with, but my main purpose is to keep our eyes uh, poked out of the window. It's actually quite dark, so we can't play cards, but uh, we can at least see if something is going on in the yard uh, across from us. Um, so you're in your house while you play cards. That is correct. And we also, of course, have uh, whatever uh, weaponry or, you know, I have my cane. Uh, in case we do see the blighters out there, we'll roam rushing out and bonk them on the noggins. Yeah, you, you can easily, and this goes for anyone, um, can easily have either like a kitchen, a knife taken from a kitchen, or something big and heavy that you can use as a club. So kind of rudimentary improvised weapon type stuff, just in case you are that way inclined. Right. And just in the order that I can see people on my screen, Leland, whereabouts are you? Uh, I believe that I am in the shed with Mr. Ongrave with my pipe with scissors roped on with string, ready to fucking bash someone. <laughs> Wonderfully prepared. Yeah. Right. So we've done with George because you're with uh you're with Davidge. And then Melvin. Uh, so I've um, set up uh, Teresa in a spare bedroom in my capacious flat. Uh, had cook prepare something. I encouraged her to eat because she looks so worn out. Um, tempted to be somewhat distracting and upbeat, 
I suspect, though, I'd encourage her to retire early as she hasn't been sleeping well and she can count herself self entirely safe here. No one knows where she is. Um, and I expect that I will um, sift through uh, a couple of weeks of old newspapers to see if I can find any more arsons now that we have a, a theoretical notion. Okay, so you're back at your place then with uh, with Teresa. So she will have, because she's been up for such a long time by this by this particular point in the day, she will pretty much collapse whenever she sits down in a comfortable chair for any long period of time. So you are completely undisturbed by her and able to filter through all, uh, all the newspapers that you have access to in the house. Uh, the long short uh, the long short story is that there is no other immediate um, reporting of arson that is in a suspicious nature like the Chamberlain incident. So yeah, there's no other incidents that are in the public eye at this point. A pity from the informational perspective, but good news regarding human well-being. Yes. Right. And then Edgar is also in the back shed with Leland. That's correct. And I do have my service revolver. However, it's not drawn or anything. Gotcha. Right. What are you going to do for about... Well, in fact, I made a note of when the uh, sunrise or sunset occurs. Sunset occurs at 20 minutes, roughly, give or take a few minutes, about 20 minutes to eight. So what are you going to do for the next like two and a, nearly two and a half hours that uh, where nothing seems to happen? Well, after about yes, but after about an hour and a half, I will put together a tea tray with some biscuits and so forth, and take them out to the garden shed, being sure to give the cuckoo cuckoo, so they know that I'm not an intruder. Thank you, Davidge. Excellent. Right. So that's about ten past quarter past nine that you do that. So about an hour and a half. So, yeah, now, does uh, the does the uh, the blackout is that supposed to continue all night long, every night? Yes. Okay. And the only not the only light that you have when you step outside, and obviously this is for uh, Leland and Edgar as well, um, that you notice there is only the thinnest sliver of a crescent moon up above. the uh, The last new moon was only two nights ago, so it is a very dark night out there. But it's uh, it's waxing. It's Going towards yes, correct. Yes. It's, it's slowly building up again, but it's emphasis on slowly. I've once heard too that um, smoking, that a uh, a person can see a a match lit uh, from fifty miles away. Uh, so I imagine we have to be careful smoking outside as well. Yes, that is quite dangerous. Should we find an intruder? I do have a storm lantern at the ready, but uh. Let's hope nothing happens tonight. A quiet night is always a good night. Well, after uh, Davidge has played uh, played Butler, bringing out uh, bringing out some cups of tea. It's fairly it's a fairly warm evening because it's been an exceptionally warm day, as as previously mentioned. It's unseasonably warm weather for this time of year. Um, it's not like it was a, like a normal September where you'd be in desperate need of something to keep you warm out there. But it's nice, comfortable, comforting, and refreshing. So you've got you've got a little bit of uh, refreshment to pass you through the rest of the evening. The stone, by the way, is on the edge of my 
uh, back porch um, covered in a blanket uh, so that they can't find it if they're looking for it. Gotcha. N nicely obscured and on a stone stone base as well. Right. It comes round to just about 10 o'clock in the evening. Um, at this point, could I ask for listen rolls from, uh, say, John and Edgar, and then spot hiddens from Davidge and George? Of course. I um, failed. It's an 84. Where the hell is my spot hidden? This is here. You need uh, to I... find your spot hidden. <laughs> yes, I succeeded. I got a five, so I got an extreme. Oh, okay. So, so regular pass from George, extreme yes. from Davidge. Uh, John? Yeah. Nothing. Bill. And Edgar? So, both we're of you too, are just. Yeah, we're too busy having a spirited conversation about our a, childhoods. A spirited conversation, and maybe a sipping your tea rather loudly. Yeah. Um, which of you's got the the the, um, the lower stealth? I have, I have twenty very good stealth. base. So you both got base. No, no, I've got I, base. John has a nice stealth. Oh right, okay. Um, Edgar, then, do you want to give me a stealth roll to see how much noise you're making to see whether the people outside may hear you? Hell yeah. Uh, thirty. I will spend ten to make it a twenty. Okay, so between you. At least you are being fairly cautious, thinking, well, if people are going to come over the back fence, we better keep our voices down so that you're not uh, sipping loudly or laughing and joking away in the uh, in the back shed. But you don't hear anything out there. There's just the occasional breeze of the wind and maybe the occasional snap of a twig where an animal obviously in the park is moving by. Whereas Davidge and George, you have a bit more elevated position so that you can look down towards the back fence that's when you notice that coming through the woodland on uh, behind her fence can you bring out your uh, telescope and indeed there is a couple there are two figures which are coming forward which are wearing you're pretty much just seeing black on black silhouettes they look like they're wearing long um, overcoats with fairly wide brim hats so it would keep them fairly obscured if there was much uh, much light around but you can see them approach the back fence George I believe the game is afoot I believe it is also hmm. no. let's go quietly what do you do um, I grab my cane and head for the, the door We'll slip quietly out the back door and around the porch and keep I an have eye a out. knife. Oh dear. Um I wonder if we can give our friends a, a signal. If only I could whistle. <laughs> but they they might not be able to hear us, Davidge. They'll hear the blighters screaming when we bash them in the head. Well, yeah, well, yes, hopefully. Right, so as you then, presumably, you start to descend with the intention of going out of your back door down your garden, which runs parallel to Teresa's, at which point, um, as you're going down, you can see the first one, you can see his hands, presumably he, because they're just the general um, shape of the silhouette, 
looks like he grabs hold of the top of the back fence and given it's 10 foot high it must mean he has something to step on on the other side that's giving him a boost up and you can see that he's now starting to poke his head over the fence and starting to pull himself over but it doesn't seem like anyone in the um in the shed is reacting to this for some reason um I'm going to let it keep going. I want them on this side of the fence so they're kind of trapped mm -hmm. before I... Okay. Indeed. Fair enough. Um, in which case, John and Edgar can give me another listen roll to see if they hear the second, uh, basically them landing and going through the flower beds rather than just approaching on the other side. We're good. 31 out of 45. Okay. Hush, John, do you hear that? Oh, what's that? Uh, no, I don't hear. Fred, I don't hear anything. In which case, Edgar does hear this thud and then a quick scamper and the sound of wood creaking as if weight has been applied to it and then another thud as someone like, uh, seems like definitely two people have landed over the back fence. That pretty much means they're within six foot of the door into the shed. We just want to go. Okay. I'm kidding. Well, I can't tell you what to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to um, turn on the storm lantern and then just step outside, just bursting through the door. Okay, you burst through. Uh, which case, what you see before you then, there are two men. They're both in their, you think, probably mid-30s, um, fairly well attired. Obviously, they're all dressed completely in black, so black shirts, black uh, black coats and both of them in their hands are carrying a similar looking thing i mean it looks a bit like a gun but it's bigger <laughs> than you thought the bigger than what you think so something makes you think this is vaguely familiar that you've seen this these things before but the think of think of a massive handgun with an oversized barrel that just doesn't seems like it's too big like a blunderbuss like uh, a silencer no not, not that's very small and thin no um they would call them at this time a very pistol. It's a flare gun. Oh, so of course. we'll go into uh, Dex order with them obviously having both having readied firearms, but you two nice. will have a surprise action as you come storming out of the um, storming out of the shed. I've got a ready firearm as well. Indeed. So uh, that will put uh, forty to ninety. Yeah, that will put you on ninety. And John, have you got a you've got you've got your stick with your scissors, haven't you? So you're just going yeah. on your regular decks. Well, um, in which case it's going to be Edgar first, then John, and then we'll descend into regular decks, including our two two lovely visitors. It's my oh. intention to move between them and the fence so that they cannot escape, but I won't then. say anything. I can see. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, so eggs up first, right on the uh, right on the doorstep. Well, say proverbial doorstep on the uh, the garden fence with them. What do you want so to do? So they both have what looks like to be firearms. Yes. Okay, and they are six feet away. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to make. Can I make a? May I make a cold shot to the man's hand, one of the men's hands, where yeah. they are holding the firearm? I'm assuming that's a penalty die, but with the point blank bonus, it's just a straight. It'll roll. cancel out. Yes. Okay. All right. I don't want to get shot tonight, so I got a 30, which is a pass. Okay. 
Uh, give me a luck roll. All right. 50-50. 14 out of 54. Okay, you shoot the flare gun in the guy's hand. It explodes, at which point the, he is then engulfed uh, his arm. Jesus and Christ. Just, suddenly is this ball of flame that erupts and completely gets him from the uh, from about the waist up. So there is a guy on fire in front of you. Uh, oh, John? dear. Um, I think seeing that a guy has just been engulfed by flame, I'm going to start having flashbacks to when I was in the Great War as a young man. And I'm just charging the other guy, and I'm going to whack him with the pipe. Right. Uh, yeah, give me a fighting brawl roll. Goddamn Kaiser worshippers. Oh, okay, look. that's a regular. Okay, and my dodge, I'm pretty sure I didn't give him that high a dodge. No, I didn't. All right, so 72 is a fail from me. So you whack him, uh, give me damage. What would that be, just like a d6? For a club, yeah, give me a d6 plus any damage bonus if you've got any. All right. Oh, that's six. Um, I don't have a damage bonus. Okay, that's uh, that's half his hit points, so he needs to make a con roll. And 11, he is still up, so it takes a big whack to the head, but you can tell it's if this was a bit more light, you might see little uh, little tweety birds going around his head. But no, he's he's swaying, but he's still he's still standing. Ah! <laughs> and then we'll go into Dex order with everyone's ready firearm bonus if they've got uh, got them. So my oh, typically these are the two crap ones. Uh, my highest Dex with the guy that's on fire would have been a hundred, but he's on fire, so all he's doing is. Ah! And as he drops to the floor screaming, uh, he's looking like he's going to try and put himself out. Uh, his dex roll says no. He is still rolling around. <coughs> so next up, I think, is Edgar on 90, unless anyone beats that. My goodness, such dex. Um, I'm going to just point the gun at the other guy and say, stop, or you're next. Okay, you... Put you point the gun at him. Uh, this is not going to be enough to make him stop. Okay. Um, next up is going to be also ninety with forty plus ninety. So that is the other guy who is currently uh, currently being taken the whack in the head. Uh, which of you uh, between John and Edgar has the lower luck? I have fifty-four. Yeah, mine's lower. Okay, uh, John, you're the one that hit him. He's going to point, uh, point, uh, shoot the flare gun at point blank range at you. Oh my god, dive! <laughs> Get the fuck out of there! Yeah, do you want? Do you wish to die for cover? Uh, that's probably a good idea. Give me the dodge roll to see if I get a penalty, a penalty die on my roll. All right. Um, fifty-one, and my dodge is thirty. No, that's not a pass. Want to spend luck? Nah. Okay, so I get my point blank, so I get my uh, bonus dice. And well, I, I don't need it. I rolled, I rolled 08 on my first roll and 48 on the second. Both would be a pass. Uh, the 8 is an extreme. So, uh, can I have a luck roll now? Oh, boy. Ah, pass. 15. Okay, you're not set on fire. So it does the initial bang from the flare gun, but you don't take burn damage going forward. Um, you do, however, take ten damage from the flare gun as it's um, as it. Holy shit! 
Because I rolled because I, I rolled an extreme, you you take max. Okay. So um, do you want, do you want to give me a uh, a con roll for that? Uh, definitely little little smidge more than half of your hit points. Oh, can you spend uh, luck on that? On your con roll, yeah. Okay, I'll spend two to pass. There you go. You are not unconscious, but yeah, there is this massive flash, and you have this burn all across your your chest. Your clothing is much burnt apart and there is this massive third like a third degree burn over a large part of your chest and it is in agony all right uh that was the other 90 so we go down to 65 is next george what would you like to do well I was pretty much doing the same as Davidge, so I'm sort of going ar around, but then obviously I'm seeing all this chaos. <laughs> I've got my knife in hand, and I think he's probably just a bit in shock at the minute. So okay. he's probably just going to move towards it but not do anything because he's a bit shook. You you can close the gap and be in kind of what the hell? Yeah. That's that's no problem. Yeah. All right, next up, uh, John. Uh, yeah, John, you're up. Going, ah! but you're still capable of acting because you're not unconscious. Okay, I will just again. Bird bath. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on fire. Correct. Uh, yeah. So I will just give him another whack because I'm. I am assuming this gun has one shot. It looks like it would be a um, like a regular flare gun. It would be click. That's the flare goes. Yeah, and then we'll try break it open, shove a new flare in it, cock it back. So yeah, you're thinking he shot his load for the minute. <laughs> oh no, the goon <laughs> shot his load all over you. I'm, I'm going all out on this guy though. I'm gonna like try to hit him as hard as possible. Okay, I'm gonna try and dodge out of the way of it because I don't want to get hit. So I'm roll gonna... your fighting brawl. There's a fumble. 98. Okay. Oh. In fact, actually, no. Um, well, think of it anyway. If you dive for cover, you lose your next action, don't you? Yeah, he doesn't get an action. There oh, you go. Okay. Yeah, so in which case, you count yourself for having avoided a fumble. There we are. Very nice. <laughs> right, uh, David, you're next. So, expecting an adventure, I uh, rather deftly with my cane... Neither one of them is standing though at this point, right? The but... one one of the antagonists is on the floor trying to put himself out and failing uh -huh. while he is most certainly on fire. Uh, that's the one where the flare gun blew up in his hand. Uh, the other one is kind of ro uh, roiling from having been punched and then shot uh, John pretty much square in right. the chest. I will, with the end of my cane, hook the guy's leg uh, so that he falls down and then uh, come down with my knee on his chest. Okay, sounds that's like a, a maneuver. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a fighting maneuver. So give me your fighting brawl. I'm going to attempt to dodge. I don't really have much. Uh, I got no three. I, I'm at the other end of the bell curve on 95, typically okay. with my dice. So uh, you... Um, Pull him, pull his leg. He goes slamming down onto the ground, and you're going to almost do a not kind of belly flop on him, but you know, with your knee going straight down onto his uh, chest. Um, for momentum, I'll give you a plus one. So give me a D three plus one plus any damage bonus you've got. 
Uh, so I got three points. Uh, I've got no damage bonus. But since I got an extreme, does he still have the gun? Can I wrench it out of his hand in the process? Yeah, I'd say because because this is more of a maneuver than in trying to do damage. Damage is a side uh, side uh, little side plus of this. That say, yeah, the flare gun can go out of his hand. Okay, so I'm like, have at the blighter <laughs> as I pin it down. Okay, yep, he is uh, pretty much. He's now down, pinned underneath you, uh, Melvin. You're a uh, Back at home, going through newspapers. Congrats, you're avoiding all this. And Edgar, you're up. Um, uh, with the ninety, if I have oh, a no, guard gun, I'm gonna yeah, you, yeah. I'm gonna wait till my actual dexterity then. Mm -hmm. Then, in which case, you are uh, you are the last one. I forgot to add your ninety on. Oh, very well. Then, in that case, um, if the man is still on fire and dealing with that, I suppose I will get some rope from the shed and start tying up the man that uh, Davidge has pinned. Yeah, the, the one that's on fire is trying to put himself out, and it's not going well. The uh, the fire is actually spreading all over him. Unlucky. Yeah, very unlucky for him. <laughs> this this guy is not going to look the same after this. Hopefully there's not a bombing run going on right now. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad for us. <laughs> Thankfully, the skies are completely clear. It's a wonderfully still night. There is not a sound out there you would hear the droning of uh, aircraft coming over if there was anything so no you are blissfully alone <clears throat> I, I think we can probably at that point come out of combat because you can restrain the other guy that's pinned under davage so he's not going to be able to do anything at this point um, the only thing that pretty much he does in resistance um, is he yells to his uh, to his colleague or at least is saying uh, the, the the words that he yells are Anthony for God's sake put it out or, or trying to gesture to, uh, gesture to you guys with his shoulders and head because his hands are bound go gesturing to his friend who he, he calls Anthony saying just put him out for God's sake help him um I can't just let him burn but then again they did just shoot John there's so probably I a bird bath so <laughs> a small one about this about uh, as a couple of fingers depth of water in it so got a splash and it can uh, do nothing pretty much i would go get some yeah let's tie him up as well yeah Sick. take the bird bath splash it and tie him up i mean right. i'm still freaking out i feel like if no one stops me i'm just gonna like <laughs> golf club this guy's head well, i'll stop you then <laughs> Okay, thank you. We need to find out who. Calm down, John. God. We need to get you Damn. to a hospital. Bastards are. Explain who, yourself. Who are you? Yes. Right. The the guy that is not currently burning, or rather that George can put him out with a combination of rolling him on the floor and patting him out with a blanket or a tarp from the um from the shed. You can yes. put him out, but this guy is from the waist, uh, kind of one knee, and then the waist up is completely burnt. He is just a kind of this smell of uh, kind of roast pork that fills the air all around mm, you, and the yes. and the singed clothing. It's a disgusting smell, and this guy looks utterly fucking horrific. You can yeah. give me a sand roll for being right yeah. up with that. It, it, in my head, I'm like, mm, it's a shame I'm the wrong kind of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, seventy nine, which is a fail. Okay, on just that uh, old that'd, be a, that'd be a D three then on a fail. Okay. Where's my D? Oh, nice no, three. Yeah, it's as I say, it's pretty damn horrific. 
these uh, flare guns, I believe they burn phosphorus. So these uh, it is a very intense, very high heat. Yeah. And pretty much the damage that you that you can see on John's chest is all over this guy. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, hmm. yeah, he's um, he is complete. Once you've put him out, he is he's alive, but he's also very unconscious from just the pain that is rising through him at this. And point. then I would um, let me uh, let me just see if I would hang on. I'm gonna do it. no. I was gonna do a first aid to see if I had any knowledge of anything. Like obviously we know about banding, bandages and that. But I, in that moment, I was like, no. So I got an eighty-four. So there's no way I'd think about. <laughs> George, think why about don't that. you go inside and alert the police that this has happened? Yeah, so I'll go do that. As I'm just my my face is probably just stuck in a shot. I I'm probably like saying that through my teeth as my face is like. Mm-hmm. As I go in and call the police. Right, you uh, you head on in then. So you bastards the, uh... were going to go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go. On. You bastards were going to burn a poor woman in her home. What is the meaning of this? Give me a psychology roll. Thirty-three. What is thirty-three? Oh, I got thirty-five. Yeah, cool. By two. Okay. Points. You you say specifically you're going to burn a woman alive. He looks at you like going, what? And as he looks between the three of you and watching uh, George walk away, where the fuck is he? Says the guy on the ground and says it with a London accent, kind of a West London accent. I'm going to wrap him in the forehead with my cane, not not to damage him, but to hurt him. Uh, not I, you know what I mean. I don't want to. Yeah, I got a bang. Really. I'm like, answer my question, blighter. And you ask me where the fuck's Dunbar? He should be here. Well, who the hell are you? Who's Dunbar? At that point, he can. You can see him seal his lips shut, and he just breathes very heavily through his nose. He is not talking. You're not going to answer my question. I'll wrap him on the forehead again with my cane. Um, you can give me a intimidate roll. Okay. You got a 25. What's my intimidate? 15. Nah. He is remarkable. You, you realize you come probably doing another hit point of damage in the process of whacking him, getting maybe a little bit harder. Um, he's not talking. He is really his lips are sealed shut like a vice. Okay, allow me to intimidate. You have the rope, yes. Uh, so if he's tied up, uh, I guess I'll roll him over, and uh, I'll just bring out a can of gasoline from the shed and place it down right next to him. I'm not actually going to do it, but I'm going to threaten. I hope that intimidation is enough. Uh, you better start talking or you're going to look like your friend. You can give me the intimidate roll, but he All doesn't right. look scared by that. I have a 50 intimidate and I just rolled a 17. So, Okay, pretty good. Uh, you do catch that he doesn't actually look scared by that. He doesn't anything... care about fire, huh? He's obsessed with it. The sicko probably wants fire. He... He doesn't look like he's obsessed by it, but he is not scared by it. There's there's a there's a difference there. Okay. 
but yeah, he just looks at you and uh, looks down at the can and just says, do it, you'd be doing me a favour. What is wrong with you? Look, what is the reason why you were going to burn this house to the ground? Again, he just, that he just keeps quiet. It's like uh, with Edgar's, with Edgar's success, you're getting him to at least talk about some things, but there are some things he will definitely not talk about. So, what about what about the magic triangle? That he just there's a, a quick snort as he as he laughs to himself. Well, the police will be here soon. They won't be as nice to you as uh, we have been. Shakes his head and mutters under his breath. Doesn't matter. We're all going to burn. Who is this Dunbar? You've given that much away. You might as well give some more away. He, he I'm going to start searching on... their pockets. Yeah, he spits on the floor at the mention of Dunbar's name. Dunbar, he was the lawyer that showed up to the house earlier today. He was. Jesus. By the way, can someone call a goddamn paramedic? Yes, uh... The police are on their way, John. I don't think they have paramedics yet, but yes, uh... George is called. Um... So, are they with Dunbar, then? What Should we take a look around the property? Perhaps there is somebody else here. Uh, I'm going to search the uh, the people, though. Okay. Uh, Patting them down, you do find there are a few things on them. Uh, There isn't, there isn't, surprisingly, there isn't any ID. What a shock there. Uh, But you do find there is a couple of extra, well, several extra flares for them for in their their pockets for the flare guns. They would be able to reload each time as they used it. Uh, There's a box of matches, pack of cigarettes, uh, lock picks. One of them also has a length of wire, which is a little bit on it, in isolation, is a little bit odd. Concerning. But yeah, there's. uh, not really that much else that they've got. Yeah, so extra flares, box of matches, pack of cigarettes, lock picks, and the length of wire. That's all you find in their pockets. Well, what are I we going to that... do with them, Davidge? Oh, I say that our, 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 what we tell the police is that they were going to light this building on fire to alert their German friends uh, to where to start dropping the bombs. Uh, They'll get thrown in the worst of all prisons, or perhaps hung as traitors to the country. He just shake. He just continues shaking his head in a very kind of you don't know kind of expression on his face. Something you want to share before you die. Just get your affairs in order. So we'll just, I don't know. I'm going to take the Storm Lantern then and uh, follow the tracks that they came from, where they came from. Mm -hmm. Okay, you pick this up. So this is a a lit flame in the uh, Storm Lantern, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um. He does for a second. Um, he says, "Can you hold on for a second? And he just he asks you to stop. Uh, okay, I'll stop. 
Okay. Um, he looks intently at that uh, storm lantern. He needs to make a power roll. <laughs> yep. Um, he starts muttering something under his breath that you can't quite catch. What the fuck are you saying? And after a after about maybe about two I'm gonna or three start seconds, walking away. Yeah. After about two or three seconds, he just shuts up and smiles, closes his eyes, and leans back as much as he can, almost with his head looking up to the uh, looking up to the sky. If he had his eyes open, can I have a spot hidden roll from John and Davidge as you are the closest to uh, to him, please? Oh, that's an eighty-seven. No. Okay. Hundred. <laughs> you you are completely oblivious, then both of you. Um, in which case, yeah, you, you are. Everything's perfectly normal. Then maybe this is because uh, Edgar's got to the other end of the uh, the other end of the garden as you're looking around with the lamp. Um, thankfully, there's no ARP warden at the back of the uh, the back row of this uh, of these houses, so he's not going to tell you to put your light out. It's almost like a whistling sound for a second, almost like a not like a bomb dropping, but something maybe as if like a um, like a bowling ball had been dropped from a great height makes this whistling sound as air uh, goes over the holes, and then all of a sudden, uh, because both of you unfortunately uh, failed your spot hidden rolls, uh, that gas canister that uh, Edgar left right by uh, right by him explodes. Uh, can uh, Davidge and John both give me dodge rolls to see if you can get out of the uh, the way of it going up? Thank God oh. I didn't say I was going to return because most likely I'd have had to have gone and collared one of the patrolmen on the streets because of the time. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So luckily, I didn't say that before this happened. <laughs> you, you, did, you, you are blissfully, blissfully ignorant. I probably just heard. walk in as it happens. I failed, but I'll spend five luck to pass. Okay, so you're able to dive out of the way. And John? Nope. I have two health. Do you want to give me a luck roll then? Yep. 97! Right, you are on fire. So, um, you take minimum damage the first round, and this will double every subsequent round until you pass a dex roll to put yourself out. But from nowhere, as far as you could tell, both um this this gas can just explodes i mean there's there was no fire source of fire that you could see and just bang um it spreads out like a water balloon that's just exploded everything that it coats is ablaze including the guy who was just sat there seemingly waiting for this to happen and he starts screaming um, in pain but not moving he just seems to be accepting his fate but with uh with still having to go through the pain that this entails Davidge blows him, uh, throws himself out of the way. John also uh, tries to throw himself out of the way, but is probably your side is completely uh, covered in fuel as it also then spontaneously erupts. Um, I come back in saying there's someone on the way and then see this. <laughs> okay, uh, someone George, put me out, God damn it. George and Edgar, um, you two can give me a sanity roll because you, you don't get a spot hidden for this because you will see it um, leave. Oh, 94. Well, 93. It's, it's, again, the dice are just in perfect harmony here tonight. 
so um the two of you uh this is say davidge is thankfully looking kind of face down on the ground as you're as you dove uh dove away and maybe looking back at john kind of concerningly going oh crap my friend my friend's on fire yeah, on fire gonna try to get to him and throw my jacket over him too without the that'd fire. be great that that will help uh help hopefully try and put him out as george and edgar both see this small um say there's the raging fire that's over there and then this small ball of burning light just literally shoots straight back up into the sky what is that uh, it's what? a d6 sandroll is what it is if you what, what is that uh four six will you like to give me that int roll please uh, for four, yeah, or is it four plus no, four? No, uh, Josh rolled six. Oh, okay, so <laughs> right. oh, why does it end have to be my eyes? <sighs> oh, six, I'm 75. Okay, up uh, your moment of insane insight as you realize that you are seeing a ball of sentient flame that is going back up to the uh, back up to the stars is that this thing was called here to uh, to get rid of effectively your captives as a last ditch su uh, suicide effort and it's not alone up there there is something a ball of flame much bigger that is looking down at you from the heavens this thing which is sentient which will set the world ablaze how would you like to flip out Ah, uh, fuck. Just kind of goes with the stuff that he sort of looks into anyway. So I think he might just have a like hysterical laughter as he falls to the ground just because it's out of like stress. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you, you're sitting there laughing on the uh, or laughing on the floor, uh, laughing on the floor, looking towards the south, uh, the southeastern. I think it's either southeastern or southwestern. Let me double check. I think it's just, yeah the southeastern horizon where you look directly into the um, into the gaze of Fommelhorts, the one of the most brightest stars in the night sky that has just cleared the horizon, and laughing as you realise that that uh, that little ball of light off in the distance is not just a ball of light. This is a living thing that is willing to set the universe ablaze. I'm realising that you are so insignificant in this thing's uh, gaze. That yeah, everything is gonna burn. Hi, right, um, David, would you like to give me a dex roll to help put out John? Yeah. Oh, 32 out of 55. Yeah. Right. So, so John, because as uh, comes around, uh, comes around to you, you are about to take one. Um, you take your one hit point as basic for minimum damage. Before you can then take another two. Thankfully, you are you're extinguished. Well, you're left with one hit point. You are in a pretty bad way. I think I'm just going to faint. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a perfectly uh, reasonable uh, situation to be in. Uh, you know how much I care because that's a Bo Brummel jacket. I just ruined, but you're Don't worth look it. it out. Right, and um, while you are gathering around this little clusterfuck in the um, in the back garden, uh, your guy who was completely ablaze earlier, uh, lying on the floor, has also been caught by this exploding uh, petrol can, and is now completely dead, having been uh, fried with third degree burns and then fried again. And the other guy just sit uh, sit, uh, sit there and took it, 
and he is just this burning can uh, this burning human candle the smell of uh, burnt pork uh, pervades the air and there are two very very dead people in front of you as you think for a second well maybe the police are turning up but you then realize that it isn't the police it's just a vehicle and a fairly large the sound of the engine implies that it's more it's not just a car it's actually a truck passes by the front of the house and then just keeps on going which this is the middle of the night why is a vehicle out there especially in blackout but it just you hear the engine and you hear it go past and about five minutes later is when you hear the ambulance turn up we can descend into a bit of a montage uh, sequence yeah. at this point to describe what else happens over the course of the rest of the night. Um, John, you're getting a definite uh, uh, definite stay at hospital. Um, is recommended for yourself. Uh, the nearest hospital is the Royal Herbert Military Hospital, which before the war is primarily uh, catering to military personnel who come back from the, come back from the front. But as time uh, passes in London, it does take on more civilian. Uh, casualties as well so they will have a bed put aside for you in their burn unit because they are again military they're used to burns so you are in good hands there at least um, you are you are taken away with uh, bells ringing uh, everyone else i think is pretty much unharmed apart from obviously the two uh, the two uh, barbecue wannabes on the floor not really much they can do for them and I think that our story to the police will be that they were going to set that house on fire. We'll tell them about the nailing clothes to the windows. We'll tell them that we suspected. Mm -hmm. um, and that we managed to get Teresa to a safe location. Are we going to yeah, mention that's... how a can of gasoline just exploded? It was their can of gasoline. They got it. They were going to burn down the house, but they were idiots. Very well. Yeah, I mean, with with showing them the nails in the window, and so the fact that the the fact that Teresa isn't there is about the only thing that kind of counts against you in a way. But there's enough physical evidence to show. Look, there's this thing down in the basement. You can see where the um, where the entrances have been made. You can see the nails. They will take you pretty much at face value. They say the kind of usual, "Don't leave town." We would like to uh, follow up on this. Uh, if the detective needs to get in touch with you, they take contact details. But that will take a good few hours, so you are going to be up until the very small hours of the evening. Oh, I think also between the interim of them, of the explosion and the, them finally getting there, uh, I will call Melvin and give him the rundown of what the hell just happened. Yeah. So just as you're sat there with a nice, nice cup of tea or uh, coffee. Uh, sitting and going through about your uh, fourth or fifth newspaper at this point and having a nice relaxing evening, you have that info dump. Yes. Well, uh, John, um, well, yes. Uh, I'll tell Teresa about it in the morning gently, but they were after Dunbar. She wasn't actually the target. That might bring her a great deal of relief, but, you know, Dunbar is my employer and a rather imposing figure. Well, I'll, I'll sleep on it. Hmm. Yes, sir. At that point, 
Well, it should be over. They're they're dead. Open and shut case. Ah, uh, but there's somebody who's behind it because you saw the truck in the street. There's I wish a... I saw the truck. I heard the truck. Oh. I wish there's I got a... to look at it. There's a mastermind behind this villainy. Um, may continue if we don't. Yes, agreed. Agreed. That is a good point, Dr. Gross. I see. Uh, at least what we're in agreement on something. You started laughing like a maniac. <laughs> I realized... Um, I just realized that some of the things that I study uh, <laughs> exist. It's... It was a uh, stressful moment. Yeah, people people are are under a lot of stress. I think the most I can do right now is be there for John while he's in the hospital. Indeed. So I will I will visit John and spend time with him. John's a hero in my book. I'm I'm having a bit of uh, guilt because I should have just shot the guy. Well, we wanted to find out what was going on, who was behind it. If if I if I didn't I didn't shoot him, and now now John's in the hospital. That's my indecision. It's not your fault, my man. <laughs> I think we'll get to the bottom of it, John. I promise. Could you put that cigarette out, though? It's <laughs> All right. Uh, mechanically, we'll do the uh, do the numbers part next. Uh, John, because you are in pretty much expert care, uh, they are able to they are able to stabilize you. So you gain one hit point back for immediate first aid treatment, and then gain another three points back for six, uh, for a successful medicine check. So you're up to five. And also for for purposes, I know for realism, um, you would normally be in hospital for a lot longer period. Um, you would be obviously uh, kept uh, in for observation. You'd be wrapped up um, in bandages. You'd be fed uh, fed RIV and all that lovely goodness that comes with burn treatments. We will bend the uh, rules of all these, bend the rules of reality to mean that you can continue to be involved in stuff in going forward in the scenario. But you are going to look like a bit like Claude Rains going on from this point. You will be the uh, the proverbial invisible man wrapped up in bandages through, uh, for the rest of this uh, the scenario. I was hoping for something more like Phantom of the Opera, but I'll take it. <laughs> all right, so you will be... Um, we can say that you are discharged with copious amounts of drugs to uh, for you to take to avoid pain uh, going forward over the course of the next considerable time, so over the next few weeks for you, potentially. But at least you're still able to engage with stuff. We'll say that it's about 7am then in the, uh, the next morning. Uh, for those that want to have got rest, you can have got rest. What do you want to do when the sun, uh, the sun comes up at 20 past 6? I think... Um... We need to call a meeting between the five of us because I, I think Melvin was right. Dunbar was the target, and I think he's still in danger because of the presence of the truck that drove by the check on things. So we need to help Dunbar. Indeed. Um, we're having this meeting at the hospital with uh, John. And yes, right when he gets uh, discharged. If, uh... We'll go over to a cafe or something, breakfast place. 
they have a cafeteria in there so you can you can meet up over hospital breakfast food great lovely um so i'm going to tell teresa in the morning that um those fellows won't bother her anymore and that we've realized that not she but dunbar was the target how does she take that um she is a little obviously a little surprised um she initially thinks uh starts along the lines of well how did they know he was there but then stops herself and says well if they'd been watching the place they would know his movements and know that he would be coming by regularly on a wednesday would be one of the days where he comes by so it's kind of now that she's looking at it from that perspective it's starting to make a bit more sense and she does comment that well he works in the law and kind of as a law as a lawyer you don't get far in the law um, the law industry without making enemies you're gonna piss someone off at some point quite yes uh and uh we'll be attempting to determine who exactly he's gotten on the wrong side of to the extent that they'll engage in such violence it's it's a long list she uh, she kind of mutters he's not a he's not exactly the most friendly of people to be uh, to be on the wrong side of so if if someone had a reason to go after, after him it's going to be a long list yes i'm afraid uh, that's an understatement um, you're welcome to stay here for as long as you like, but I suspect that there's going. No, they won't. Well, I'm not. Hmm, they don't necessarily know. The information that Dunbar wasn't there won't necessarily have gotten back to whoever sent the goons, because they were just hired hands of some kind. Um, right. Well, I'm going to. Uh, have a further chat with the fellows. Um, you again, you can stay or or return to your home as as you like. Um, she very much says, "I'd I'd prefer to stay here if if you don't mind." I I'm, yeah. I feel safer knowing that knowing that my friends are looking into this and hopefully trying to solve it. Because in, just in case they want me as well for whatever reason, maybe because of my association with with Dunbar, that that might that might put me on some kind of list as well. I'd rather. I'd rather not risk it and not go back. Quite so. Yes, well, you're, you're most welcome. Um, make yourself at home. Have, you know, ask, if you need anything, ask Jane. Um, I'm going to go and, and meet with the fellows and we'll tell you what we learn. Yeah, um, she will that point, probably curl up and go back to sleep again because, say, she's still exhausted. Oh, yes, but I guess before I my part, I'll ask her if things are well and through with Dunbar, or if they hope to patch it, she hopes to patch it up. Well, given in light of what's uh, what's happened, uh, she thinks she's probably not going to see uh, see uh, Joseph because that's his first name, Joseph Dunbar, mm -hmm. um, until all this is resolved. Right. Yes. Um, it probably will be wiser for both of you. Very good. And I'm off. And if we're at our meeting. We do have two data points now for their targets. We have Dunbar and then Paul Chamberlain. If we can find some kind of connection between the two of them, that's we'll, we'll definitely yes. be on the case. Indeed. Get the red string out. Yes, I think uh, some of us should check in with Dunbar and 
find out why he's being targeted, then others should dig in to the connection that might be there. A point of clarification. Dunbar is a lawyer? Or he a... runs a firm. Okay. He has his own firm. Yes, he's Melvin's employer as well as uh, Teresa's lover. And okay. employer. Yeah. And well, Angry, if, do you have um, ins with the uh, with with the Yard? Yeah. I, so, yes, I do. Because it would be helpful also perhaps to find out who those two young men were. Uh, yes, I will actually write that down in my notepad and follow up on that. So I will check in with that. Good idea, Melvin. It sounds as though, well, we'll see. I mean, they obviously were, from what you remove from their pockets, they are somewhat experienced criminal types who knew what to bring and what not to bring. Mm -hmm. They mostly got dropped off by the truck. Because... If we're following the trail of footsteps, I'm guessing there's no car at the end or vehicle. Well, there certainly won't be from... Uh, you'd have to go over the fence yeah, through Marion Park. So they went a long way, yeah. by which point you then get to a footpath and then they don't leave uh, They don't leave footprints. Yeah, they knew what they were doing, that's for sure. Can we and then what, what was the deal with... Um, before, I had this odd sensation. He told me to stop with the lantern and then i heard you heard him whisper something in another language maybe and then it all happened the the gas exploded this wasn't any language i recognized um i but, suppose um, you have more experience with that as an occultist uh davidge uh, well um you do you think there was an occult do you think that he created some sort of magical spell that i don't know how that would have happened. I mean, you, one fellow was lit up with a handful of phosphorus flares and spent some time aflame. I'm sure there were bits of char and spark and whatnot all over Teresa's garden. And obviously one of them, perhaps you even inadvertently set the gas can on top of one. And that's why it smoldered for a bit before it got hot enough to explode. Maybe it did though seem that it was orchestrated. Because he asked Angrave to stop moving. Uh, and Angrave had the only, well, I'd say that he only saw a fire, except that the other man was certainly a source of fire. Um, and then there was a the other man was a whistling sound. Did you all hear that? Like Again, have you ever cooked it cook have you ever seen an entire pig roast? There's a great deal of whistling. No, there's a pockets whistle. of gas escaping through the Melting lard. I'm sorry, John. Yes, the, the whistling. The whistling was from... It was like the sound of a, a fire rocket. I mean, a, a firework. Uh, uh, Statistic whistling that got closer and then boom. It was <laughs> from something far greater than we can imagine. Oh, perhaps... Well, uh, but I didn't see anything. I was, of course, face down. Uh, yes, I did. So as he looks we, up to the sky, are we to assume then, at this point in our investigation, that someone was planning on burning the house down to get uh, Mister Dunbar, who would have been sleeping there with Miss uh, Hughes? Mm -hmm. um, Yes, I believe that's correct. 
But then what's the thing with the little stone in the basement? Mm. I think I think that our our best bet would be since we've found this plastic surgeon uh dead and then Dunbar, they must be connected. Yeah. Because yes. they were specifically targeting him. They targeted him for a reason. The two oh. must be connected. I wonder if the ruins of Mr. Chamberlain's home is still accessible. It's only been a few days, perhaps in the basement or in the basement area, if the building's all collapsed, we find another one of these stones. Great idea. Give me an, you can give me an idea roll on that front. Uh, 43 is, uh, yeah, it's almost a hard. I give it, do you want a hard? No, no, regular's fine. Um, you remember reading back to the exact wording in the news article. Yeah. That it said that he uh, his his home in Westminster had been burnt down, but he was a Harley Street surgeon. His office is on Harley Street, so his office, where any of his papers and such, hasn't been burnt down. That's untouched. Okay, but uh, oh, well, then I was what I was speaking of then was be to see if his home, if the rubble of his home had a stone. Do you suppose a, Do you suppose a triangle of marble would survive? The heat of an entire house going up in flames. It's, it's a metamorphic arson. rock. It survived uh, volcanic heat. I'm sure, it should easily survive. It doesn't do against lemon juice, though. I mean, anyway, if there were chunks of it, they, I, that would be telling. So, could it be that they they certainly didn't seem like cultists? They were dressed in regular. They were dressed in regular clothing. Yeah, yeah maybe not like your stereotypical from, cultists. Yes, but don't they usually dress in purple robes and have strange symbols carved into them or whatever? Um, they certainly had totems that they were obsessed with, specific ways of doing things like fire. They also did seem to be involved. They weren't just some hired thugs to do a job because they were definitely afraid. They seemed fanatic. Yes, they, they did seem fanatic. Yes, indeed. Well, I think I am going to uh, head over to Scotland Yard to, to see if I can find any more information on the uh, bodies to see if the police identified them. Perhaps uh, Mr. Uh, Spofield Harris Esquire and I, uh, if unless somebody wishes else to come, to visit Mr. Dunbar. He's your boss, yes? Yes, um, and I, I think that it might be wise if someone charming came along with me because he was quite embarrassed to be seen at Mrs. Hughes' doorstep yesterday by a member of his firm. But it was um, well, George is quite charming. charming. Uh, yes, John, you were very charming, except now that you look like a, a brisket that's been left a little too long in the oven. Oh, Lord. I can see Please go face. easy on him, David. Ah, uh, it's character. It will all be character mm. in the end. People will find you. Well, character. If well, some of us need to obviously look more into the other side, like Chamberlain and that. So I don't know why me and John can't do that. Well, perhaps 
fire worship. That seems to be uh, Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism, yes. Ahura Mazda. Yes. The sacred flame. Oh, interesting. Wasn't there an ever burning flame in Azerbaijan? Oh, yes, I think so, yes. It's an interesting Elevating a couple of arsonists, I think, but. And I don't think (laughs) they're very violent people, so uh, I think most likely some fly by night. No, perhaps I know less. These are definitely definitely fanatics. Oh, you mean Zoroastrians? Correct, yes, yes. I thought you meant the guys who shot me. No, these guys were definitely fanatics. Um, Yes. Maybe maybe look around to see if there's any strange, wild new cults in London. I'm sure there's a few. Maybe I can uh, talk to some of my inner circle. <laughs> so if I've got it right, uh, we've got Edgar's heading down to Scotland Yard. Melvin and Davidge are heading to Dunbar and Associates offices. And John and George, you're going through the newspapers or going through any kind of records trying to find a connection between Dunbar and Chamberlain. Yeah, and I will talk to some of my colleagues from my inner about if they know of any cults or anything about fire worship and stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay, I'll go around in that order then. So unfortunately, Edgar, uh, yours is fairly quick. Uh, you can pop down there and kind of reiterate for their records or they're trying to help them out by saying, here's the description of these guys. We've got a good look at them. Admittedly, the one that I kind of blew up with his flare, with his own flare gun, I didn't get a massively good look at him. Um, you basically got the quick look at, at him before you immolated him. Um, the other one, though, you got a bit more of a look at as you tried to intimidate him. Um, so you do the equivalent of like a photo fit. You sit down with an, an artist to get a good sketch. impression yeah. of him. Yeah. Um, but the, the only name that you got out of either of them was when you heard one of them refer to the other as Anthony. Yes. And the, there was no ID on any of them. And the description doesn't come back with any known criminal element or known criminal associates. So they they very quickly draw a blank. They've got no idea who these two people were. They know they don't have a criminal record, so at least there's there's that. Well, thanks anyway, lads. Right. Uh, I mean, they say they'll continue on and continue looking, but yeah, these are not people that are known to be working with the criminal underworld. Right. And then we'll go to Melvin and Davidge. So you arrive at Dunbar and Associates. They've been open probably about half an hour by this point, so it takes you a little while to get across uh, across London after you've had breakfast and after you've met up with the others. Um, so Melvin, because obviously you work there, uh, you would know that the uh, the main receptionist, uh, Miss Davis, uh, will be there as one of the first people to open up. Uh, she has already opened up the office. Uh, you can see that people have settled down for their day job. Uh, you know that Dunbar takes a lot of his meetings or pretty much all of his meetings in his office. And that when his door is shut, you know he's in there and he'll be with clients. Um, when you arrive, that door is very firmly shut. Um, you can hear the noise that there are people talking in there. Miss um, Davis is just finishing up with a, um, a gentleman on the front desk. Um, he's kind of sat there idly twirling uh, twirling an umbrella in one hand. Or he's spinning, uh, spinning it round in his hand. 
Um, he looks like he could beat every man. He's like that you could put him in a crowd and he could be like mistaken for a million people. He's very, very, very average. Uh, but he nods and uh, kind of exchanges a quick smile to you and just uh, then exchanges to Miss Davis. Thank you. I'll be uh, hopefully background later on this afternoon then when uh, Mr. Dunbar has a um, has a free slot in his schedule. And he doffs his hat and walks out. Um, at which point you are then free with Miss Davis. Miss Davis, uh, allow me to introduce Mr. Davidge Green. Very nice to meet you. Uh, he's uh, uh, an acquaintance. He's a neighbor of uh, of Teresa's. Um, you know, she'll. I think she'll be out for a bit longer. Um, the situation unfolding. Um, uh, do you? Uh, do you, what do you? What do you know about um, Mr. Dunbar's schedule this afternoon? Do you well, think he's pretty. Have... He's probably well, just put uh, booked his last slot for the uh, for the afternoon, so he's mm. pretty much booked up all the way through until five. So, I mean, if, if right. you wanted to, if you wanted to work with him, I could ask to, uh, for him to hold back a few minutes after he's supposed to finish. Uh, if you would, yes, I'd appreciate that. Um, and uh, do you happen? Uh, do you know if there's anything in our files regarding a Mr. Paul Chamberlain? If we've done any business with him. Give me a, give me a luck roll. Uh, well, uh, that's a regular. Yep. Okay. Um, she has a quick flick through her, got the equivalent of a Rolodex, uh, trying to find any contact details for him, um, and goes, uh, no, I don't have any contact details for him, so he's not an active client, but I do know the name from somewhere. He was a, a doctor of some note, passed away recently. Oh, okay. I, I hadn't heard of his passing, but I know I've heard the name somewhere. Yes, some, some sort of, um, uh, yes, Green? Perhaps a, a previous client. I know we'd, we'd still have him in, at least a contact would be in the um, would be in the directory here. Yes, he, I, did I work with, he did work with um, uh, aesthetic... Damn Plastic it. surgery, Pla it says. That's the yes. Well, apparently, very notable Harley Street and all. Oh yeah, we're good. Are we rolling in money if he's based there? Well then, um, yes. If you if you give me a buzz, should uh, Dunbar have a moment? I'd much appreciate it. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, uh, if I'd say come by, if you swing by here again after five after five o'clock, then he'll uh, he'll see you before he goes home. Right, just on end. Very good. Uh, so, and Miss Davis, by the by chance, uh, if you have a spare moment, could you do a little research and see if you can run across Mr. Chamberlain uh, as having some sort of association with this firm? Um, we are quite concerned. So, if Mr. Dunbar has a few moments that we can speak to him in between clients, perhaps we're willing to wait for. A bit. I mean, I I also have my own work to attend to, Davidge. So I can wait. You want to come back at five, or yeah. I'll wait. I'm very patient, man. Sure. Okay. Yeah. She says um, I'll need access to his records, which are going to be in uh, Mr. Dunbar's office. But otherwise, I can I can look through what I what I can get hold of and see if I can uh, find where I know that name from. But I know I've definitely heard it. That would be much appreciated. Thank you. 
right. Uh, whereabouts uh, is Melvin going? Are you staying around or are you heading off somewhere while uh, David? Because it sounds like David is going to wait in the office all day waiting for Dunbar. Yeah, I, I mean, I presume I have my own responsibilities. So perhaps yeah, before things go, yeah. yeah, before things go entirely off piece, I'll actually put in a, a day's work. Okay. Yeah, that works for me. Because we forget that investigators do actually have day jobs. This is a. Uh, an unusual thing, but yep, you can uh, get to your desk and uh, proceed to do uh, do regular work. Um, in which case, both of you then, Davidge, we might see this from your uh, just from the position of sitting out in the waiting room, mm -hmm. and maybe Melvin from uh, from your offer from your window in your office. Uh, give me a spot hidden roll. Oh, fourteen. That's eighty-seven. Uh, that's a hard. I could make it an extreme. Okay, with no, six hard's, points. hard's good. He's not. Uh, this isn't a. Uh, this isn't an opposed role, so you don't have to worry about like someone's opposing stealth. Uh, that guy that you passed in the waiting room, the mm -hmm. kind of the the everyman kind of uh, God doesn't have any kind of distinguishing features at all besides his swinging umbrella. Um, you notice he sat in the car on the other side of the road, that he's just mm -hmm. watching uh, watching the building. And he does mm -hmm. this for for a for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, he went out of his way to be unobtrusive. Also, mid thirties. Uh, actually, I'll just double check him. Uh, he has stats. So I said. Uh, late thirties. You think probably on the board on the borderline of being forty. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what does he drive? Or okay. how expensive is his car? Oh, again, could be there's one of uh, there's one of a hundred or well, a couple of hundred thousand of these cars. They're again the bog standard Ford of the day, right? Um, yeah. At some point, as I, you know, pass through the office doing some carrying some bit of important paper to somebody else's place and lawyerly stuff. Um, I'll ask Miss Davis about the the chap that was here just when I arrived. And is he a new client? I think he's a prospective client. He said he just wanted to have a um, have a meeting with uh, Dunbar later. Uh, rather bland name, a Mister Smith, uh, John Smith. Yes, very. Uh, I've been. I could describe him now if you asked. He was sort of a regular face, wearing a sort of grey or brown sort of. John Smith. Uh, any uh, indication of what sort of business he hoped to bring to the firm? A kind of a business consultancy, so the typical run-of-the-mill type of uh, type of client. Well, seems an odd thing that he'd just sit on the street outside the office for hours. Is he going to get a chance to speak to Dunbar today? Did he find a slot? Yes, he's uh, he's booked in for about three o'clock. You do, notice, you do notice that he's out there for about half an hour and then he does drive off, but he does pointedly watch the building throughout that half an hour and then drives away. Yes. And um, is is Mr. Green doing the London Times crossword? No, I'm just, at the moment I'm just sitting quietly. Uh, I am looking for the opportunity. There's usually that moment when Dunbar will 
dismiss the client. He'll come out for a moment and then he'll go back in and I might grab him if he does that at any point. Okay. Um, give me a luck roll to see if that does happen then, because this pretty much you're sat there watching this rolling, revolving door of clients yeah. coming, waiting with you, going in uh, to see him. No, 76. So. It, everything comes to the... It's rather than... Uh, if you get Muhammad can't go to the mountain, the mountain goes to Muhammad. Uh, yeah, everything gets taken to him rather than he come out comes right. out and gets anything. But hopefully, Miss Davis has told him that I'm out here waiting patiently, as you an do English, as a proper Englishman would. You, you do indeed hear a muffled, uh, quick mention of Melvin and a Mister Davidge Green. Uh, quick word: five o'clock. Blah, 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 mutter mutter and yeah you do hear a somewhat accepting tone that yeah there is you are definitely on his books for the very last appointment of the day right and then we leave the uh the slow grind of time to uh to roll through the rest uh roll through that day and we'll cut over to john and george so what is your plan of attack how are you planning on doing research for trying to connect these two people Hmm. Well, uh, one using like the library in it, just as the basics. Um, I also want to contact some of my inner circle just to find out about various, and maybe they might know some stuff about or heard anything. So, or they might know how to get more information, etc. Okay, well, you can definitely contact your uh, your friends without any difficulty. Um, on the notes of new cults, I mean, there's always fringe groups that are popping up all over the um, all over the town or about other things. But when if you specifically mention things like fire, then it's not ringing any bells for them. Either this is a group that are very underground and being very discreet, or there just isn't anything out there that they've heard of. Okay. But this this mm. is not an, this is not being a very overt group, if it, if it even is a group. Yes, mm. that it was never going to be this easy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. as you said, it seems like there is some. If there is some mastermind behind this, they're being fairly discreet and being very uh, very careful about what they're doing. Um, yeah, and normally someone of power as well. Well. Let's see if you, with the uh, with your two data points, if you can pull this off. Uh, this is going to be an extreme library use roll to put it together with such uh, minimal info. So you, you both can get a chance to roll, and if one gets an extreme, then you will find something. What is my um, I've got 50 in libraries, so let's just go. I can spend. That's a You know... <laughs> You know what? It's a lot. What's the word? I might just push my luck here. It's like the worst thing that can happen. If you push it, then you, um, what I'm going to say is that this is potentially you're running the risk of fail. You're going to burn burn the whole day doing this. But John says that he's close with uh, says he can spend luck. So how yeah, far I'll, off are I'll you? Spend. Okay, that's fine. Okay, how how far off were you? Uh, I had a 20, and so I need to spend, I think, quite a lot, like 12 or 15. Oh, wow. Okay, so you, yeah, base base library use is, what, 25? Yeah. Oh, I have to spend down to 9. 
So I would have okay. to spend 11 points. That's not too bad then. In which case, the main thing you'll go that's that this takes time. The main thing that is a stumbling block is that you have just two names and that doing any kind of connection is very uh, strenuous and very tenuous. But going back far enough through the old newspaper archives, you do find a, uh, a newspaper article that features both of their names. Out of court settlement ends Williams Whitaker case. It was announced today by Mr. Joseph Dunbar, legal counsel for well-known socialite Miss Aurora Williams, that an out-of-court settlement has been reached with hotelier Mr. Thomas Whitaker. This brings to an end what experts had believed was going to be one of the largest legal battles of recent years before it even started. Legal action had been announced against Mr. Whitaker, the owner of many luxury hotels across Europe. But Miss Williams, following her injury at the Alpine Hotel in the Alps early last November, Miss Williams blamed the hotelier of negligent conduct for allowing a fire to break out in the poorly fitted hotel kitchens, which resorted in her disfigurement in the blaze. Miss Williams is the inheritor of a prominent Williams Shipping Company and family fortune, giving her the wealth to mount a tremendous legal campaign. Miss Williams was recently treated by renowned Harley Street surgeon Dr. Paul Chamberlain, but made her initial courtroom appearance last month wearing a veil. Mr. Dunbar stated that a generous and realistic settlement had been offered by Mr. Whitaker and, a, and accepted on Miss Williams' behalf. The case has now been closed and has left the High Court. Miss Williams herself was unavailable for comment. And that's pretty much the only record you can find of the name Dunbar and the name Chamberlain appearing in any any documentation that you can find in the library. Yes, and that was in the 1st of April 1938, was it? That's right. Oh, can I ask a question? I'm not there, but when you have MS, in, is that Miss or is it Ms, Miss, which we use for a divorced woman? Miss. No, um, as in never married. Okay. We look into See John's next. mouth moving. Well, oh, now I can hear hello. you. <laughs> what should we look into next, Dr. Gross, given this information? Hmm. Well, we have a few chain of inquiries here because we've got two men connected to this incident. And then we have two more names. Uh, we could look into more in this Miss Williams. The veil, I would have to make a wild guess and say she got her face burned off. Yes. And again, we come back to fire. Fire, yes. Um, we could look into Miss Williams, see if anything pops up for her at all. She owns a uh, she uh, took over a large company. Her name's got to, or at least the company has to have appeared from then till now. It couldn't have gone, so well, it could have gone silent, but very much doubtful. I think we should go. I was just going to say, I think that we should probably contact Davidge and Melvin to inform them. Uh, so we can ask Mr. Dunbar about it. 
Yes, if we give it a couple, let let me just see if we can get a little bit more information. We can get a bit more information, and we can fill them in on more. Okay. Uh, how about you stay here? I'll go tell them. Yes, that's that's fine. Now, the main thing here is, as I mentioned, this that this is such an obscure piece in the newspaper. This does take you a long time to find, so you're probably going yes. to be spending most of the day trying to find this. Um, so if you wanted to go, if Leland wanted to go and uh, meet up with Davidge and Melvin, you would be doing so at, kind of at the the tail end of the day, so around the time when that meeting is going to happen at the, um, the, law, the law firm. Meanwhile, this does free up Edgar to do uh, most of the day after you've hit your kind of dead end at Scotland Yard. So what do you want to do with the rest of the day? I suppose I would meet up with uh, John and George. Yeah, you can you can do that at the library without any difficulty. And if I found out about it, then I'd like to talk about it because this Aurora Williams, the lady, the woman that was disfigured by uh, Mr. Whittaker's negligence, it seems more like that Mr. Uh, Whittaker, he's the one targeting everyone here based on we have uh, the surgeon... And then Dunbar is being targeted as well. So it's only a logical conclusion that Aurora is going to be targeted. Yes, which is why I suggest looking into her. Right. As she's more of a company, at least, or should. But if we look into Mr. Documents. Whittaker, he's probably connected to the, these groups of fanatics. Exactly. Why don't we do it like this? If Le- Leland, you can stay with us or go see if Green and Melvin are okay. Oh, why don't you go ahead, John? Uh, George and I are going to spend some quality time together. Yes, and then Edgar, you can look into Mr. Whitaker, and then I'll look into uh, Miss Williams. Very well. Yeah, these two names don't require any roles to look into their backgrounds because there's enough information out there in the public domain that it's it's not difficult to find. So as the news article kind of hinted at, well, not hinted at, it kind of outlined a lot of it. Uh, Aurora Williams is the head or the inheritor of the Williams Shipping Company, which is quite a prominent uh, import-export company based in London. Um, they own a fair, a fair bit of extensive property down at the London dockyards. So they, they do have a lot of um, of shipping goods coming through the Thames and then that is then distributed out through the Docklands. Um, she is very, or at least her family, is very well connected with local government, or not even just local government, with central government. Um, she's the per- kind of person that, through the likes of her uncle, um, have representation in Parliament. This is someone you do not fuck with. She has a lot of power and a lot of influence that she can go that she can call at her command, and is one of the wealthiest people in the country. You think, um, if you were to put a number on it for her credit rating, it's up in the nineties. Yeah, which goes on in in my character's head, which goes on the uh, theory of normally someone in charge of a secret organization is someone of wealth and class, <laughs> and it's she not, fits as, um, the bill. As uh, Dennis Wheatley uh, portrays in his books at the time, that yeah, people who dabble in the occult are normally the people that have the money to make sure they don't need to have uh, inconveniences like yes. jobs and that kind of thing. So it's he the wealthy way around with the occult. Yeah, Whitaker is 
Whitaker's are in the same kind of boat when it comes to money. He is exceptionally wealthy. Um, he has a string of hotels all across Europe. Um, you know that his main center of his operation for the hotel network is also in London. Um, he has uh, one particular hotel, which, give me a second, uh, is the Riverside Hotel, which is down in Chelsea, which gives you an idea of, again, the kind of uh, status that this particular establishment has. So, yeah, again, so, you're looking at someone with a very, very high amount of money and a lot of pull because he has a lot of money. Oh, God damn it. Do I really have to go to Chelsea? That is out of character. <laughs> <to me. laughs> oh, Please be grateful you aren't made there. But um, <laughs> I need to roll a sanity roll for that and then put real <laughs> life sanity. Which is worse, a fire vampire or made in Chelsea? Yeah. Ooh. But yeah, yeah okay. finding information on those two is not difficult. So you know that if you did want to go and contact the likes of uh, Whitaker, Thomas Whitaker, then the Riverside Hotel in Chelsea would be the best, uh, the best bet because that is where his business operation is currently operating from. It's more than likely he is in London. You don't expect him to be yes. in Europe with war having broken out. So, mm. so, Edian and Leland, if you haven't left us, <laughs> if you decided to stay. Um, yes, obviously, the thing that I'm going on right now is with an organization like this, if there is some, it had to be someone of some wealth. And now we've got two wealthy people going off of your the theory of Whitaker. We maybe should pay a visit to his location and see if we can get a bit more information. Well, now, now I'm second-guessing myself because motive could be anything. Maybe Aurora could was be. not happy with her plastic surgery and was not happy yes. with Dunbar's representation. So who knows? And they're both wealthy and influential. Yes. <laughs> you could give me an idea role as well, which is All similar right. to the role that I gave uh, Davidge. So this is for Edgar. Watch out. That is a 60 on the dot. I have an int of 60. Oh, there you go. Yep. As as you say this, then, and also with uh, your day having been somewhat a bit more freed up with uh, only doing background research, uh, there is, as I made the, the note to Davidge, that uh, Chamberlain's offices are still intact, and all of her medical records for Aurora Williams would be at that uh, in those offices if you wanted to get a more insight into maybe if she was upset, what has happened to her. Let's do it. Yes. Oh God, it looks like. Angrave and Gross are on the on case. the case. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, I... we don't we don't need Teresa. <laughs> is this is this the start of a new story? Oh God! <laughs> right. Um, we can probably do yourself then in the run up to five o'clock, and then I'll skip over to Davidge, John, and Melvin over at the law firm, and that will probably bring us fairly close to the uh, to the end of the session. So, let me bring up a particular page. So, you arrive at Harley Street. Again, a very extensive part of town where there are some of the best surgeons that are renowned in the country have their offices based here. And you have one of many establishments that um, Chamberlain didn't own like a single building there. Um, he had a office that was part of a 
what was you think a converted house on Harley Street. So going up to the front door, you have a name a nameplate against various buzzers. And there's let's say the six other names of six other doctors that work in this particular um this particular building. And Chamberlain is one of those one of those numbers, but obviously you ex don't expect there to be any reply uh, to pushing the buzzer because he's dead, so he's not exactly going to be able to uh, answer the answer the phone or answer a buzzer. But you have the building, so what would you like to do? Is it just unlocked? Is this one where we can just walk in to wait in the waiting room for one of these surgeons or doctors? Yeah, you can you can certainly go in. At which point does you have access to the building? There's not really a reception or waiting room. You think if there are receptions, they'd probably be individual to the different places you go to. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm assuming we drove there? Yes, you certainly can. All right. And uh, just trying Chamberlain's door, that's locked, I'm I suppose. Okay, so you, you head upstairs. He's on the kind of middle floor. Okay. And mm -hmm. yeah, you, you give the handle a bit of a shake, and it's very firmly locked. Okay, as you, uh, what kind of door is it? Okay, it's a fairly big, thick inter internal door, but it's a fairly well made. Obviously, being the area, it's a very, it's a very refined and very uh, well decorated, uh, big, thick door. But trying the handle, you do hear a, a, the door open behind you, and there's the door across the way to another uh, to another surgeon. Let's uh, say a surgeon, a uh, Doctor Harris, is on the door. Um, you can see uh, a young lady looking at you, come expectantly, and just coughs gently. Hello, good afternoon. Ah, hello. Uh, mm. Are you part of the team that I was told are going to be turning up to having a look through the files? That's correct. Yes. Ah, great. Yes. One, one, one second. Uh, she turns around, and you hear her kind of tap, 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 and she comes back with a with a key, and says, "Yeah, uh, Detective Smith said that you'd be coming by and told me to give you this to, so that you could open the door." Right. Just um, yeah. Just uh, so told me this morning that you'd be uh, you'd be coming by. So yeah, I hope, I hope everything you need's in there. I hope so too. But we'll return the key when we're done. Thank you. Yes, we will. Thank you. Great. Uh, she, she smiles, gives you a thumbs up, and shuts the door. And Edgar, you bear in mind that you've worked with law enforcement. So I know Detective Smith. You you have no idea of a Detective Smith, but this is also some bullshit. Uh, police procedural here. No uh, police officer would leave a key with a civilian to say, my mates are going to turn up later to have a look through these files. Something stinks. So we probably got here before someone else. So we should probably remove what they're looking for. I think we might have a, a hint at what they're looking for, given the histories need... of these targets. We need to be quick. Angrave, I don't trust us. Or we don't have to be quick. I'm not sure we could catch whoever. Hmm. Yes. It's risky, but uh, yeah. Well, this is we're racing against other people right now. So let's, yeah, and uh, the more inform yes, and the more information we have, the better. So let's go. Right, you head on into the office. I'll lock it behind me. Okay, so you unlock get inside and then close up behind you. The place is immaculate. No one's used it for at least as far as you can tell, no one's used it on face on face value for for a while. Obviously he's he's only been dead about three days at this point. But no one's been using the office in the interim. 
apart from when you see in one corner there are a row of three filing cabinets, one of the filing cabinet doors is open. So someone's been in here, but otherwise there's no one else in in here now. There's no one like hiding behind a desk or lurking in a cupboard anywhere. You are completely alone, but there is blatantly that this filing cabinet has been left open. Um, okay. you know, on the on the top, it has the letters of the presumably the patients that are um, that are dealt with in the files containing. The first one is A through I. Then you've got J through R, and the last one, the one that's open, is S through Z. So for Williams, most likely. Is it in that last one? Yeah. Or it could be Whittaker. Who knows? Both it? Oh, no. Most likely Williams because he's the surgeon. He didn't do surgery on Whittaker. Mm -hmm. So most likely Williams. And looking through the files that are left in the, you know, open filing cabinet, I suppose we won't even find anything regarding Miss Williams, right? There is no file on Whittaker. But there yep. is a fairly chunky file on Aurora Williams. Yes. Oh, let's just grab that, put it in my tote bag. <laughs> okay. yeah, all I could, uh, when you pull it thing. out, pulling it out, do you notice before you even uh, before you even put it in your bag, uh, there is what looks to be a handwritten note which has been sl uh, slid into the front of it. Okay, I will read that then. What is that, Angrave? Well, it says something. What I believe it? this is the file you are looking for. You may find reports of an incident in the Swiss Alps in 1937 to be interesting reading. Please lock up and push the key back under the door on your way out. Many thanks. So it seems like people were expecting us. Interesting. So maybe we're not racing against them. Maybe we have allies. I don't like it. I don't like this no, this is getting. Seems like we're being played. Someone's moving us around like pawns. I was about to say we are pawns to the rich, but I am also a very wealthy man, so that's a bit hypocritical <laughs> of me to say. Okay, so if we got what we came for, let's uh, let's just comply, stay in the good graces, because there are some big players on the board. So I will slide the key back under the door yes. lock up, and all that okay is there anything else we can get here in this room while we have it there's a whole lot of other medical records for a whole load of names for other patients that don't uh, don't flag on anything you've got so far is there a davage green in there <laughs> <laughs> probably not i don't think he's had no, plastic okay. surgery yet <laughs> one okay. doesn't need to <laughs> then uh let's get to a more secluded area to read through these files dr gross yes and we need to keep an eye out yeah keep an eye out yeah where where do you plan on going hmm. go back to my secure house but... yeah we can go to your study i heard yes. that's quite immaculate I've, i haven't seen such but Oh yes, it's quite grandiose. So you, you might feel a bit uh, out of place. Oh yeah, yeah, with my credit rating of twenty. <laughs> well, you, you can definitely head back to your place then, and uh, not feeding your paranoia at all. Uh, as you head back off, uh, you keep looking in the rearview mirror, maybe even glance out of the window every so often. You are not being followed. No one is watching you. If anything, there is a distinct absence of anyone really caring about where you're going, which 
suddenly makes you think if you do have this kind of ally or guardian angel, maybe they're not around. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, you, you can head certainly head back to your um, to your place, and you're you're back there by, let's say, about three o'clock. So it gives you a little yeah. bit more time to have a look through stuff. And I tell my uh, my butler or close friend Charles to keep an eye out for any unusual fellows. Yeah. Um, again, he will not spot anything. So that's um, again feeding a nice sen- uh, false sense of security building up here. Uh, do I say false? Oh. But speaking of three o'clock, of course, I'm watching my t- uh, desk clock because I want to see this John Smith fellow. Yes, and indeed, precisely at three o'clock, um, you see, or maybe about a minute two three, um, the car pull up in the same parking space on the other side of the road, and the man dressed in the same suit come out, uh, kind of twirling his umbrella walking across the road and comes back in for his three o'clock appointment. So he's pretty much uh, shown into the waiting area, sits down actually fairly close to uh, Davidge, nods again and kind of looks a little bit quizzically. You haven't been here all day, have you? I'm just waiting here. So one one has business with uh, Mr. Dunbar. Uh, One sometimes has to wait. Now, I am going to observe everything about this guy. Like, does he have a flare gun underneath his jacket? <laughs> give, me a, give me a spot hidden versus his stealth to see if you can spot him carrying anything. Okay. I'm sorry, what am I rolling? Spot hidden. Uh, spot hidden. Uh, zero, oh, zero 060. <laughs> that is, that is just, that's an exact 60. So I'm. Oh, so that's a, that's a regular success from you. Regular success. Uh, I've got a stealth of ninety, and I rolled thirty-nine, so I'm under half. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you don't spot anything. There's no telltale bulges, but the way he carries himself, he's very, very deliberate in his movements. Hmm. And the fact that he rolled so well that makes him very suspicious. <laughs> Uh, well, so I, got, I, the fact he's got a stealth of ninety should give yeah, you a hint. That, yeah, yeah, there's something on about it. I, uh, I engage him in conversation. Um, uh, I, I noticed you were here earlier, trying to make an appointment. I guess you got the better appointment than I did. I just, I just happened to be the um, in the right place at the right time and managed to manage to get the last appointment before the end of the day. Yes, seemed like if I had been here only five minutes earlier, I should have gotten that appointment. Um, what sort of business are you in? Oh, the, the usual import-export. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not very polite. Uh, my name is Davidge Green. I shake his hand. Ah, oh, John. John Smith. Ah, Mr. Smith. I don't recognize him or anything. He's not. There's, okay. no, there's Again, he could be... You could mistake him for a million people. Yeah. It's There's no real distinguishing feature about him. It's He's got very forgettable features in that sense. Um, so in import and export, what sort of things? Uh, uh, Pretty much anything, anything I can get, which admittedly in the the current situation with the war on becomes uh, rather limited. Oh, yes, indeed. Moving lots um, of machine parts at the moment. Hmm. Ah, machine parts. Oh, that's interesting. Um, lots of machine works in uh, Germany and so forth, but uh, <laughs> I imagine that the supply chain's kind of broken down, hasn't it? Funnily enough. 
yes, yes. Lots, of, uh, lots of the material at the minute has to come from overseas from the from the uh, from the former colonies ah of course um are you doing any kind of uh, uh, uh for the war effort uh, building tanks and airplanes oh main, mainly air, aerospace oh really that's very interesting um we have rocket technology at this point oh yes yes oh no no oh, no really. we don't because the the v2 is the first well the v1 and the v2 are the first kind of rockets and they don't appear till the end of the war that's right so the uh the elder things are not yet hanging over uh madison or was uh, yeah. um oh that's very interesting uh let's see what the sort of conversation can i come up with uh I myself, uh, I am I'm an occultist. Oh, I study various aspects of various religions and occult uh, uh, philosophies. Uh, so, and you said your name was? Uh, Davidge, Davidge Green. Green. Okay. You can kind of see he files that away in his in his mind. You might have, uh, you might have heard of me if you move in some of those circles. I, I don't personally, but some some of my friends do. It's all very fascinating, you know. And I'll start babbling on about uh, you know African mythology or something like that. The heart of darkness. Give me a psychology role to see if you can read what his reaction is. Okay. Oh, I got a sixteen. Excellent. That is what's my psychology? Thirty-five. That is a hard. Okay. He he's nodding along as if he kind of gets what you mean, but maybe some kind of twinkle behind his eye is implying that you think you know stuff, but I really know what's going on here. Mm. And midway through your conversation, he um there is a door a door opens for Dunbar and you hear him call through and he doffs his hat and saying, Unfortunately, meeting calls, but I may may see you again on my way out. Enjoy your meeting. <laughs> it's business. So, as much as one can enjoy it and yep he gets up and walks towards the door Miss Davis and... uh, has this gentleman been here before is he a regular client no only this morning he literally really? turned up about five or ten minutes before yourself to um, to say could he get a uh, basically squeeze him in at any point to see Mr Dunbar today hmm. oh thank you I'm now concerned, so uh, I will uh, I will uh, call Mr. Spotford Harris Esquire uh, on on the on my uh, my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Go over to his door and give a secret knock. <laughs> yeah, you know, as three o'clock approached again, I was sort of anticipating the return. Um, but I don't think you don't think that you don't think the devil's going to try to set Mr. Dunbar alight in his office and then run out, do you? I mean, you can't do it here. There's a reason they've been they've been quite surreptitious so far, and they've prepared Teresa's place for him for some days. Wonder if I should barge in. 
just as a as an aside, while you're stood, I'm guessing you're kind of stood in the kind of doorway to your office. Yeah. Um, in the corridor outside, it just so happens that there is a fire extinguisher that is right outside the off uh, your office door. Should you need it. But... Great, Scott. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're just going to we're going to stand here and be quietly and listen for any signs of. If you could distract Miss Davis for a few moments, I could always, yeah, certainly. I can, I can, you know, I mean, unfortunately, we're connected, and I, this might, well, I guess if we save his life, he won't fire me. So, uh, yes, I'll go and um, ask her for some old files. I'll, I'll take my seat as if I'm just going back into my resting sitting position. And then as soon as she leaves, I will quickly move over and place my ear against the door. Gotcha. If I hear anything that sounds distressing, I'm I'm opening the door. No, it uh, doesn't require a listen roll because you're right up close against the door. Um, it does actually sound like this Smith is talking business. Um, he's basically sounding out Dunbar saying, um, we have various matters that we need to, um, on the horizon that are coming up. Um, have a legal representation. So we're hoping if you have uh, room in your schedule, can you uh, please book us in as a potential client? We obviously want you to meet with our um, sales team to make sure that, and he basically starts going on and on and on. And it does sound like a vaguely normal. legitimate, normal business legal conversation. There's no, no nothing like uh, chanting and then suddenly burning pig smell or anything like that. It's literally just a, a business meeting. So I hate it when that happens. Um, yeah, so if I'm listening, I'll listen as long as I can. But if I see Miss Davis heading back in this direction, mm -hmm. I'll simply I'll walk over towards her desk. And when she arrives, I'll say, could I trouble you for a glass of water, if that's possible? Yeah, certainly. So, um, she would have also offered tea and coffee throughout the day as ah, well, you know, yes. trying to be as good a host as she can be when she realizes that you're going to be sat there for the duration. Uh, so what I'll do, if I've got the water and so forth, um, I will try to engage her if she doesn't seem too busy at the moment. But that way I'm on my feet if something happens. Yeah. Okay. You can be on your feet. There is nothing for you to have to worry about or react to. So you are okay. quite happily provided with tea, and tea, coffee, water, etc. And after about... The meeting only lasts about... 15 minutes potentially but it's fair it's a fairly quick it's made like an introductory touch base thing um both uh, is melvin listening in at all or is it just uh yeah i'm i'm idling outside my office with an eye on the situation i want to see him leave and sniff the air for carbon okay uh, you can both give me psychology roles then um you don't smell anything odd but it's whether you can maybe read a bit more into maybe any subtext amongst the meeting. I got a heart again. I got a 14 this time. Only regular. Okay. Um, again, between the two of you then, you are fairly sure that this is definitely, you get in the smell, this is almost like a cover, that this Smith turned up here deliberately to have a meeting to get his foot in the door. That he isn't so much worried about the business spiel. The business spiel, in fact, almost seems kind of rehearsed. But his primary reason was to come in here and to get some kind of foot in the door and make contact with Dunbar. There is there is definitely an ulterior motive here, but you don't suspect it being malicious. 
there's you don't kind of read any hostile intent from it, but there is intent in whatever this guy is doing. And mm. could it be possible that Mr. Dunbar is in on it? That he wasn't, in fact, the victim last night, or going to be the victim, but was orchestrating the uh, situation. Would, would I say, to the best of my ability, that Smith looked very much the same when he left as when he arrived? Yes. No lighter, no out. thinner, yeah. No. He didn't leave his umbrella behind accidentally. Very nice to no. meet you as he goes by. Yeah, yeah. He, he'll nod at maybe the both of you if you're both visible. Mm -hmm. right. At which point, yeah, he, he leaves. He, he mentions to Miss Davis, I'll be in touch about potentially arranging, say, forthcoming forthcoming meetings with yourself and uh, Mr. Dunbar. And again, and then he heads out onto the street, goes uh, dodges across the traffic on the road outside, gets back to his car and drives off. Mm. Yeah. Well, I didn't see him carrying in a large piece of marble. So... Perhaps it was nothing. Perhaps it was nothing. I mean, there are people named John Smith. <laughs> it happens. Uh, yes, and I'll continue to worry about Latin terminology until five o'clock. Yes, I should have uh, should be getting that meeting soon, I'd hope. I was hoping that somebody would cancel and then I would have a spot, but... Mm -hmm. Dunbar and Associates does a swift business, I assume. Indeed. But I assure you I haven't wasted all day. I've been concentrating. I've been doing math problems in my head, and I've been considering the various philosophies of uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. We're approaching the end of the session, but I want to do a quick couple of things before we wrap up to, uh, to bring it to a nice, uh, nice point to leave. So, George and Edgar, you're going through uh, this folder that you've got for Aurora and going through her medical notes. And again, you're not, neither of you are medical professionals. So some of the terminology and some of the wording here is a little bit archaic and quite technical, but you're able yes. to get the gist of it over a couple of hours of reading it and going back and forth over some of the, um, particularly some of the documentation, some of the photos. The photos are pretty gruesome to be honest, what's in there. But yeah, you, you piece together what's happened, that indeed the, the news article fills in a lot of the gaps here, where it says about that she was involved in a fire. She was pinned, it seems like she was pinned under a burning beam, and that she was then in a room which was completely ablaze. So it wasn't just her, uh, wasn't just her face, but it was also her torso that was, uh, that was very badly burned. Kind of maybe to the kind of the same degree as, uh, as John was earlier. And it registers about that her face needed significant uh, reconstructive surgery. Now, plastic surgery back in the 40s was, or the 30s was not a uh, kind of art it was today. They could do some pretty good, um, some pretty good things, but there could also be some pretty horrific foul-ups too. Um, particularly when you go back to the Great War, it's even worse that some of them look really, really horrific with the uh, with the work they did. But the pictures that you have of Aurora post-surgery are nothing short of amazing. She has almost got her um, her complete facial uh, features back to how they were before uh, 
before she um, was before she was hideously burned, with one exception that the file notes uh, the files state. Her face is completely incapable of em emoting any kind of emotion. Her face is just like a porcelain mask now. So her mouth moves. You can see the eyes moving in the sockets, but the rest of her face is just a blank expression. The muscles do not work under all the levels of plastic that's been put down there. And if anything, that is actually maybe reminiscent of the fact this actually did happen to a Hollywood silent movie star, that there was a very similar uh, kind of foul up on plastic surgery that was done to them in the US. So this is not unheard of, but yeah, this is she is trapped within a an unmoving, inflexible mask of what was originally her face, and that yeah, this is something that you can imagine a socialite with a hell of a lot of money uh, would be rather annoyed at. But yeah, so you maybe have a, a little insight into this uh, poor broken, uh, the broken psyche of the person that would have been put through this. Yes. How on earth did she survive? Because she was pinned underneath a burning beam. Did someone come in and rescue her, or was she recovered from the remnants of the fire? Yeah, hmm. she was rescued. She was rescued by the fire uh, by the fire okay. crew that turned up, but she was pinned for a significant enough period of time where she suffered horrendous burns to her upper right. torso and face. And then the mental damage it would have done to her as well, especially after the surgery went. The way it did. Um, a mentally broken woman. Mm. <laughs> That's definitely our next our line of inquiry. Engrave? Yes, if I was her, I'd just have anger and revenge on my mind. Yes. As they say, hell hath no fury like... A woman scorned. Or in this case, a woman burned nearly within an inch of her life. Yes. And to, to wrap up the evening, we'll go over to uh, Davidge. John, you've arrived now at the law firm office. So the three of you are now uh, waiting. Uh, waiting. Obviously, uh, Miss Davis will uh, offer you tea and coffee. And we'll be uh, maybe slightly recoiling back from you going, what the hell happened to you? But she won't be as uh, rude to ask. Well, uh, oh, can you hear me? I can yes. now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Your audio is well, a little delayed. <laughs> we've uh, we've discovered that um, there was apparently some sort of um, relationship between uh, Mr. Dunbar. Yeah, Mr. Dunbar and um, and the doctor. They Mr. both Chandler. worked on a uh, on a case together. Uh, uh, about some woman who'd gotten probably burned in an accident. Hmm. And we tell you all about the Smith incident, which didn't seem to be anything at all, man. But odd. Oh. John Smith. Yes, Mr. John Smith. You ring a bell? Anything you came up with? No, that sounds like a fake name to me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, just, uh, some some parents are just not very creative when it comes to naming their children. Um, well, we're about to go into a meeting with Mr. Dunbar. Um, I'm hoping that 
I'm hoping that Mr. Dunbar is not the cult leader that's going to kill us all for having unraveled his uh, mysterious goings-on. Uh, Joseph Dunbar has never shown that sort of imagination, I can assure you. <laughs> I'm just wondering how most delicately to approach this matter. Now that we know what the association between Dunbar and Chamberlain is, we needn't ask. Do I want to tell Dunbar that he was the object of this incident? Oh, I How think do... that that's, that's precisely what we should. We should warn him that his life might be in danger and that we don't care about his, uh, his uh, dabbling. Piccadillos. Miss, uh, yes, Miss Piccadillos. That's precisely the word I was looking for. Um, we have to be delicate. He's not the most... Um, warm and open of fellows. I mean, he's a, a bit of a titan because he's hard. He's a hard man. Do you think oh. one way we could approach it is say that I need reconstructive surgery, which is probably true, ask after the surgeon in that line? Well, he's not really involved in the surgery. The surgeon's dead. Oh, yeah, he would probably know that he was dead. Yeah, uh, the question of whom you should sue for the assault, given that the identities of the men who assaulted you are unknown. Uh, okay, we, can't assaulted sue, first. we can't sue the police, but, you know, Teresa did call them and they did not respond to her. Well, maybe you're right, and being honest would be the best policy. Mm. Because I don't think we want to overwhelm him by numbers either. So you can wait in my office while we think Green and I are sufficient to the cause. And yeah. try not to terrorize the female staff with your. Well, Davidge. It's all in good fun, darling. I have to go change my bandages. Damn. You are weeping a little bit. Oh, fuck. Language on that boy. <laughs> you could quite happily run away into a uh, quiet side uh, side office. Uh, lots of people are leaving now, uh, as it's now kind of the end of the working day. So even uh, Miss Davis is getting ready to pack up and go home. She's just waiting for you to be the last kind of the, the last three out with uh, with Dunbar as well. Although he might even stay late in his office because he he often does that. But you are showed through to um, through to Mr. Joseph Dunbar's office. Um, he has a nice big uh, desk in front of him, uh, window looking out onto the street behind him. And yeah, he's there waiting for you. And so he's like, oh, I um, understand you wanted to have a quick word with me. Not a business issue, but uh, something else Miss uh, Miss Davis was saying. Yes, quite, uh, Mr. Dunbar. Thanks for taking a few moments. We'll be brief. Uh, this is Mr. Davidge Green. He happens to be uh, Miss Hugh Mrs. Hughes's uh, neighbor on the left. Um, and um, I don't know if you've seen anything in the papers, but there was an incident at her home last night. Um, no, I haven't had a chance to read the papers uh, as yet. No, you've been you've been very active. Um, as it happens, well, Mr. Green was present. He can perhaps sketch out the events. Yes, indeed. Very nice to meet you, by the way. Uh, lovely uh, lawyer's firm. Um, so Miss, Miss, uh, Miss Hughes contacted us yesterday. I'm her neighbor from quite a long time. And I, 
I know the difficulties that she's been having with her, her spouse. Um, we were called over there by her because she felt that somebody was watching her property. Some people were invading her property in the evening. And when we investigated, we found, in fact, that somebody was and that they had nailed shut the lower level, all of the windows, as if to trap someone inside. Well, we moved her to safety and we watched the property last night and indeed two men uh, in the middle of the night showed up with the intentions of burning the place to the ground. And when we accosted them, they said that they were expecting to that you would be in the house. So we think you were the target. Somebody's trying to kill you. Somebody's trying to burn you. And uh, and um, to make these uh, rather astonishing suggestions a little more, well, to give them a greater context, you want you Paul Chamberlain, the doctor with whom you settled the. Uh, Whitaker Williams case was um, killed in an arson just a few days ago. Burned in his home. So you his see, his eyes open a little wide at that. At that, there's a name I haven't heard for a long while. Well, in fact, two names I haven't. Three names I haven't heard for a while. Uh, yes. So we bring this to your attention because I believe there's a credible threat to your well-being, and I, I, I ask you to be on your guard, and also to inquire if you have any idea why you and, and Dr. Uh, Chamberlain would, would both be okay. subject to... Yes, quite. Well, I mean, uh, you can tell there's a look of concern on his face. And he shakes his head to, uh, to himself. You know, I just i I can understand with obviously our involvement. The only the only involvement that me and Chamberlain had was with the with the Williams case. But I just don't think no, she wouldn't she wouldn't have the guts to. And at that point, there is an almighty crash in the window from the window behind him, and a ball of flame about the size of my fist flies in through the window and smashes into the back of Dunbar's chair. And that's where we're going to leave it for tonight. Oh. <laughs> Our players included uh, Max Meltzer, Josh Harwood, Alex Sun, David Gassaway, and myself, with Matthew Sanderson as the Keeper of Arcane Lore. We have a Discord server where you can chat with other members. You can set up private games, and you can learn the finer arts of gameplay and game mastering. We provide audio-only versions of our shows free for you to download from Podbean, Spotify, or iTunes. Uh, support for our show is provided by our patrons who are listed in the closing credits. If you would like to join them, please visit our Patreon page uh, listed in the description, or you can use Super Thanks uh, by hitting the button just below the screen. Like, share, and subscribe to our channel, and punch the bell icon for updates on our latest shows. And leave us some comments. We enjoy reading them and answer any questions you might have. This is Tom Riley, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure into the universe of HP Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Ah, sorry. Once again, I gotta change that. The uh uh World War World War Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck and good gaming. Mm -hmm.